Do woodpeckers laugh? Hello, everyone. Sydney St. James here with you with another great episode of the Sydney St. James Show. We'll be talking about, well, just talking about anything you can possibly think of. So stay tuned. We're coming up with our next episode of the Sydney St. James Show. Operation Magic Carpet was the most extensive combined air and sea lift ever organized during wartime. Elmer Struess, my father, was an officer in the Navy, one of many assigned this task and helped bring back millions of soldiers at the end of World War II. It was called by all of the servicemen and women as the scope expanded worldwide as Home Alive by 45. Hello everyone, Sydney St. James, and today I have a special presentation on this Memorial Weekend. It's one of the first nighttime torpedo drop in naval history, and of course, Operation Magic Carpet, and action in the theater of Northern Africa. Today, my words are a tribute to the patriotism about Eagle Lake, Texas's Three Musketeers, as they were known in school in the 1920s and 1930s. Robert Jack Coogie Nye, Elmer Struess, and Freddie Franca. You know, over my entire life growing up, I heard some pretty wild stories of these three men who fought for our country during World War II. The stories I heard and some treasured pictures from the 1920s dug out of an Antonio and Cleopatra cigar box go way back before the war even. As a matter of fact, before relating their wartime contributions, I want to talk about something else amazing between these three men, and that's their friendship with each other. Let's first talk about friendship and the different levels of friendship. You know, good friends are those that care for each other. And close friends, they really understand one another. But ladies and gentlemen, true friends stay forever, beyond all words, beyond all distances, and beyond all boundaries. Wherever they might move to and between one another and absolutely beyond time itself. You know, speaking from personal experience, I'm sure we all have friends in our lives over the last many years and I suppose I got started in Mrs. Mina Quitton's kindergarten class in 1956. And still, to this very day, some of those friends I made then as a six-year-old are what we call true friends. Even though we lost contact with each other as we grew older, 
We make as adults and stay in touch with other friends as long as we live close to, and it's convenient to stay in touch. But then, over time, one moves away, or busy schedules slowly pull us apart, and we start to lose touch. Those friendships fall into the category of what I call good friends. But then, there's that last group of friends, those we all call our true friends, or, in my granddaughter's language of today, BFFs. They are those we have a mutual caring about. We understand each other's hearts and where bonds are formed between us that span any distance in proximity, from one side of the world to the other, and where the bonds run so deep that no amount of time apart or lack of words being said between us will change the way we feel about those friends. These, my loyal listeners, are our true friends. And when one comes into your life, cherish it for all it's worth. In my Memorial Day story, I will tell today the true friends, the BFFs, Ensigns Elmer Struess and Coogie Nye, along with their third brother, Freddie Franca, went to kindergarten together. They lived next door to each other during the first 18 years in high school, and they fished in the Ricefield canals, hunted ducks and geese together, played all the different sports together, and then they all went off to World War II together in 1942. They were all one, two, and three in their graduating high school class. Coogie is the only one that made a career out of the Navy, but up until February of 2003, he and Elmer and Freddie always stayed in touch and in later years got together twice a year. What an inseparable bond of friendship. Elmer and Freddie remained in Eagle Lake their entire lives, but Coogie, with his career in the Navy, would take him all over the world, but yet he would still come and visit with his daughter Nancy in Simonton, Texas, twice a year, and then come to Eagle Lake to see his BFFs, Elmer and Freddie. Again, speaking from my own life experience, Often the contact was lost with friends in past locations, such as mine at the John Knox Presbyterian Church Camp. Although my memories of them remain treasured, they're still lost, but still there in my heart. As an adult, it's often harder to find the time to form those deep friendships outside of your immediate family members because we are all trying to juggle a million things with work, church, service, and our community, all whilst trying to give our greatest attention to our own family, our children, and our spouses, where of course it rightfully belongs. But even during some of those challenging years growing up in life, Elmer and Coogie and Freddie considered each other their most valuable and faithful friend. 
They were guys who saw each other through tough times and who always saw the best in each other despite any of the other's shortcomings. They reached down and picked each other up at those times they found themselves downhearted. They stood by the one that might feel alone at times. These same true friends lifted each other's children's spirits as well and made them laugh when they were going through tough times of their own. They honestly loved each other without judgment and without expectations. These faithful friends never stopped giving hugs to their best friend. Even at times that one friend may not have deserved one, these kinds of friends were individuals who were there for each other until their last day on earth. I'm sure as you listen to my podcast today, you have that friend too who may not always be there in person or in words every single time, but most definitely permanently etched in your heart. And knowing that has always helped me through incredible challenges throughout my later years as well. Genuine, true friends just do that. They help us grow and change for the better. They give us support in good times and bad. They can make us laugh when all we want to do sometimes is just get into a little ball and cry. And no matter how far apart time and distance may cause us to grow from one another, and even if death takes one of them from this world to the next, we always have the comfort of knowing that these true friends are still there for us. You know, I had a a very true friend, I think now recently found his new home in heaven. His name is Kendall P. McNeil who I'll be attending a celebration of his life on July 10th. Although we may have been separated by the pond between the UK and here for many years, we have been BFFs for a long, long time. You know, growing up and in my career, Kendall and I would go to the Palm Restaurant in Houston and drink out of a crystal bottle of Remy Martin Louis XIII. And we'd be celebrating some great milestone until the last drop disappeared and one of us would be taking the bottle home with us. It was our way of celebrating something great that's happened in our lives together, our true friendship. I also have to add that a strong friendship doesn't need daily conversation, doesn't always need togetherness as long as the relationship lives in our hearts. True friends will never, ever part ways. When someone is genuinely your true friend, they leave an impression on your heart that will never go away. Not with time and not with distance. True friends secure a place in our hearts forever. I am personally grateful for the true friends in my life, both alive and those who have passed away. Thank you so much for being my true friends. 
Now, sorry, I probably spoke too much on the friendship part of things as I was trying to do a tribute, but let's quit drifting away now and let's get back to our three musketeers. If anyone can act as a benchmark for true friendship, it would have to be Coogie Nye, Elmer Struess, and Freddie Franca. Known in Eagle Lake in 1936 as the Three Musketeers because they were inseparable in life until they graduated and the onset of World War II. In my eyes, they will always remain the pure definition of true friends and remain so until the good Lord invited all three of them to their new homes in heaven where now they also remain friends forever. Today, I again am once talking to you from my heart. It's something that means so much to me, this subject matter, that I don't write a script up and type it up and read from it. So if once in a while I stumble over my words, it's because sometimes it can get emotional. As I've said, they do come from my heart and not from a piece of paper or a computer screen. From those who follow my podcast, you already know how I can ramble around at times. Lots of laughs. <laughs> With Memorial Day, but one day away, I think back at our country's real meaning of friendship and patriotism. I mention friendship because my story today is about my father's best friends, Captain Jack Coogie Nye and Lieutenant J.G. Freddie Franca, who always believed in the best for my dad, their lifelong best friend, friends who defended him when he couldn't protect himself. Someone standing in my father's corner ready to sacrifice on his behalf at any given time. They pushed him to be the best version of himself and were the first to stand and clap for him when he succeeded. True friendship between these men was God's way of reaching down and hugging them at their best and more importantly, at their worst. For almost five long years, our three friends were separated all in different locations around the world. I would like now to highlight each of their contributions briefly, if I may. First, my father, Elmer Struess. As one of the officers with the Navy, he helped lead the campaign known as Home Alive by 45, Operation Magic Carpet. Operation Magic Carpet was the most extensive combined air and sea lift ever organized in the history of wartime. Separated by vast distances, theater, branch of service, sex, race, and rank, the journey home to the United States of America after World War II was one of the most handful of incidences universal to nearly all Americans. Who fought and survived the bloodiest conflict in human history. That it was a global experience
experience shared by millions makes it remarkable enough on its own. However, it is when the sheer volume of Americans returned are considered eight million men and women from every service branch scattered across 55 areas of war spanning four different continents that one can make the case that Operation Magic Carpet stood and is one of the most outstanding achievements in World War II. In 1945, the average American serviceman and servicewoman had been overseas for 16 months or so, some much longer than that. Even before Japan was defeated, there was a strong public outcry to bring the boys home. Many clamored for return home by Christmas with the slogan beginning, Home Alive by 45. Oh, and by the way, this slogan was the beginning of the baby boomers. Once the servicemen and servicewomen reached our shores, there became a dramatic increase in the population nine months later. Next, we talk about one of our three musketeers, Freddie Franca. In putting together this broadcast, I did the best I could to find the actually descriptions of the battles, but had a difficult time doing so. But when I talk about Freddie Franca, he was further on the other side of the world from where Coogie was and from where Elmer was. He saw more action than we can describe here today in my broadcast. However, the Eagle Lake Headlight owner and editor in the town of a population of 3,500 joined the U.S. Navy on July 17, 1941. Freddie saw plenty and plenty of action while in the war. But one to highlight was during his service on patrol off the coast of North Africa during the invasion, or what we call the African invasion, in 1943. He was severely wounded in that engagement with a German submarine and received the Purple Heart. Later, in Germany, he was awarded the Distinguished Flying Cross for his outstanding courageous and exemplary action against the German enemy. And, lastly, Ensign Kugi then Lieutenant Kugi and finally Captain Kugi Kugi fought in a campaign of which no one thought he would return from. Some even called his mission a suicide mission in 1942. But Ensign Robert Jack, a.k.a. Coogie Nye, helped make naval history. The Navy planes, motors idling to reduce the possibility of detection, glided down paths of moonlight to attack the Japanese fleet during the Battle of Midway. But first, a word from my sponsor, who makes the Sydney St. James show possible. Be right back.
And now, for the rest of my story. 1942. Navy planes. Motors idling to reduce possibility of detection. Glided down paths of moonlight to attack the Japanese fleet during the Battle of Midway. Incident Robert Kuginai of Eagle Lake, along with the pilot of his aircraft, Lieutenant D.C. Davis, were the first plane to locate the Japanese fleet, launching the first moonlight torpedo attack ever recorded in naval history. When you hear the narrative description of this attack today, it is but natural for you to sit there and shudder. 700 miles was a long haul to fly, and the hiding among the clouds to await the time of moonrise was eagerly awaited. The battle was soon on in all of its fury. One of Kugi Nye's friends and member of the crew said it was like the 4th of July at Coney Island. In locating his target, Lieutenant Davis climbed high to look over the situation. He saw a flock of transports below, and he and Coogie and the other members of the crew huddled together to discuss what they would do next. From a height of several thousand feet, they saw in the half-light of the moon what appeared to be a Japanese aircraft carrier, and down they went. Gliding over the screen of destroyers, they approached close enough to see it was a large transport. Her decks were crowded, and they could even see her gun crews manning the anti-aircraft. Their approach was made on the transport's beam, but as they got closer and closer, the ship swung to starboard in a frantic effort to try and escape. She couldn't turn fast enough. And when the Catalina, the plane that Coogie was on, was within hailing distance of the water, a torpedo was launched directly at the transport stern. Machine gun and anti-aircraft fire from the transport raked the big flying boat as it pulled away in a sharp up curve. The bow gunner on the Catalina had his goggles shot right off his face by a blast of machine gun bullets through the bow turret, but not one nicked him. When Lieutenant Davis was high enough with their plane, he circled around to see what the damage was that they had done. A red glow rose from the stern of the transport, and that was enough. Lieutenant Davis and Ensign Coogie Nye and the crew called it a night. Bravo, Coogie. The other planes had similar successes. There were no clouds to hide and on the return to the emergency base. Flattening down so close to the ocean that the ship actually climbed and dipped over each long wave. Enemy bombers being expected. The return was very hazardous. Gas was running low with only 15 gallons left. For 30 minutes, Lieutenant Davis flew on his instruments through rain squalls and storms. He landed on the open sea when fuel was no more. 
For six hours, they were adrift on the Pacific, eating emergency rations and waiting to be picked up. They were rescued and towed in by a motor launch. There was not a drop of gas left in their tanks. In the Catalina, there was, of course, Ensign Robert Kuginai of Eagle Lake, Texas. There was John Foster, first-class pilot from California, and William C. Henderson, machinist mate out of San Antonio, Texas. Only two Texans were in the raid group, and both were on Lieutenant Davis's ship. Let's roll our clock up to 2003. In 2003, I took over the family business in Eagle Lake, Texas, after my father passed away. The last time I saw Coogie was during one of his two trips down per year when he stopped by the store and took Barbara and me to lunch at Taco Tony's. That, of course, was his favorite place to eat when he was visiting Eagle Lake. He would play golf with his daughter in the morning, and the two of them would come up to the store and hang out with Barbara and me. I suppose until his last day with us, I was kind of like a conduit to heaven where Elmer was waiting for him to go play golf. His way of communicating to Elmer high above, I suppose. I still treasure Coogie's visits twice a year until he finally became ill and went to join Elmer and later Freddie would be joining them. Of course, during the same time, Freddie still living in Eagle Lake but retired, I would be driving by his home and see him sitting out under a big oak tree in a little swing. I stop my car, I go up, and I sit down with him. And I tell him that I saw Coogie or, um, you know, we both missed my dad so much or whatever our conversation was, but it was still there. Again, I was a conduit to my father in heaven. It wasn't too long thereafter that Freddie also joined right behind Coogie their trip to heaven. You know, we live in a world where information and life updates are all right there now at the tips of our fingers. But don't let the facade of social media be an excuse to not simplify something just by reaching out. But pick up the phone and say hello. I've learned that a simple phone call or impromptu lunch date is so much more effective. It's a lot easier to pick up that phone or, in our time and day, pull that cell phone out of your back pocket and have a 30-second conversation than it is to have a 45-minute talk and catch a friend up on the last several months, if not years, of your life. The bottom line, making an effort to connect with a friend shows just how much you care. I would like to add in closing for my Memorial Day tribute to all our servicemen and women worldwide. Our flag, Old Glory, doesn't fly because the wind moves it. It flies with the last breath 
of each soldier who died protecting it. Now, I've turned my head and I'm looking out my window here that overlooks beautiful Lake Georgetown. As I'm staring out there, as it's done on some earlier episodes, there's something about this window. It's as though it was a portal, has a slight glow to it, and it takes me to the past. And I'm sitting here, I'm staring out the window, and a light mist starts to form. I now am lost in my memories with the telling of this story today. And I see through this mist the Eagle Lake High School gym in 1944 with its curved top roof, one of a kind in all Southeast Texas. Before going in, I glanced at the cars parked out front and sure enough, there's Elmer's 1934 Ford convertible. As soon as I walk inside, lo and behold, I see Elmer and Dorothy holding hands in the middle of the gym floor. There's a band over in the corner warming up. There's clarinets, trumpets, a bass guitar, and a French horn. I look back, eh, and sure enough, standing next to Elmer was Freddie Franca and Eunice. I couldn't believe it. But then, after I did a double take, there he was, Coogie, with his wonderful wife of over 65 years, Mabel, were in their small group. They were all ready for the dance to kick off. Then, while the band was tuning up their instruments, a man wearing glasses walked in the door carrying his trombone. He walked across the gym floor, headed to the stage, and once there he stepped up with the band, took his trombone out of his case, stood there with the trombone in one hand, and with the other he faced his band and raised his hand. Thank you.
Until next time, everyone, happy listening and happy Memorial Day weekend. See you later, alligator. Well, that does it for me for another great episode from Sydney St. James. Be sure to click on the tab above that says send a voice message and I will get it from you and I'll probably play it back on one of my future podcasts. Also, don't forget to click the button follow. I'd love for you to follow my podcast. But it's been fun. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, here I am, Sydney St. James. Happy listening. <laughs>